Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Hopefully all of you have received the notes, so you can go ahead and turn to that as well so you can follow along. And we're going to talk about this whole new section now about revolutionaries. And this first part that I want to address is learning how to live differently. That's how you become a revolutionary, is when you learn how to live your life differently than what the world does. And that's why I want to start off with this question is simply this. Have you witnessed something or especially someone doing something that is completely out of the ordinary? I want you to just think about this for a moment. Just think about the times where you might have witnessed somebody it could be in light of what we've been sharing about just generosity, just people just above and beyond what they're able to give and because they just love God and they want to bless people. I was also thinking about some other situations. Have you seen people who are willing to sacrifice themselves so that someone else can live? I mean, those are some powerful stories that you're thinking to yourself like, how and why are they doing something like that? They would put themselves in harm's way so that they could protect either somebody that they love, which makes somewhat of some sense, but also for people who are total strangers. Another incident that you might want to think about is when you think about some people who are trying to help others, Uh, whether it's uh, just a tragedy that's going on or a car accident. You don't even know them, but they're going out of their way to help people. And also the thing that sticks out for me all the time is when you see people who are willing to forgive when it's very difficult to forgive and they're willing to do that. To me, it's hard for me to understand. It it must be not only Christ, but something that spirit moves them to be able to forgive a person who has harmed them or their family. I think it's oftentimes when you look at some of these people and even ask them questions like, why are you, why did you do that? What makes you a hero? Almost every single one of these people will say, I'm not a hero. I'm just an average person. It was just in that moment that I just kind of responded. And sometimes they will even say, I don't know how I responded or why I responded, but I just responded. So what I wanted to do is just kind of introduce you to some people that some of you probably don't know. Uh, Some of you do know. Uh, It depends on how well read you are. But here are some ordinary people, and they've been interviewed, and every single time they're asked these questions, like, how, how are you so courageous? Uh, why are you so brave? Why did you do what you did? That was such a, a generous thing. That was such an awesome thing. And you'll listen to their response. The first person, as you look up on your screen there, is this person is Nicholas Winton. I don't know if some of you know who he is, but he was a businessman who ended up rescuing 669 children, mostly Jewish, during the eve of World War II. So before the Nazis came in and Czechoslovakia and before they were going to take all these Jews away, he rescued 669 children. And one of the powerful things, one of the powerful things that you will notice is that they had a, a special reunion of all these children that he saved. And they were in this auditorium. It, it was really cool. You could, you could check it out on the YouTube or whatever. It was really cool because what happened was that he didn't even know what was going on. They were just honoring him. And then many of the children now are all grown up in their 60s or 70s. And they ended up just circling around him. He had no idea that they were the ones that he rescued. And they all stood up. And it, it was a powerful moment. Another person, I don't know if you know who this person is. His name is uh, Anthony uh, Omari, and he, uh, if you look at the picture carefully, you can tell uh, he got injured because he was at his mother's orphanage in Kenya, and it was being attacked by several men, and he ended up fighting them, uh, fighting them off, and then he ended up getting cut by a machete as they came in and tried to steal things, and he ended up saving 35 children. Here's another person. Many of you probably know who this person is, Malala uh, Yousafzai, who is uh, born in Pakistan, and she uh, was in the midst of the Taliban who took over her part of the town, and they did not allow girls to go to school. So she ended up speaking up, 
and defying the Taliban. And if you know the story very well, they ended up coming towards her and they shot her in the head. But she survived and she recovered in the UK. And she refused to stop speaking about the injustice that women cannot study or go to school. And those of you who do know her, 17 years old, that was when she received the Nobel Peace Prize. She is the youngest person in the history of the Nobel Peace Prize. And when you talk to her, she just realized, I just wanted to go to school. I want other women to go to school, other girls to go to school as well. And the last person is this person here. His name is Todd Beamer. And he was on a flight, the United Airline Flight 93, the famous 93 that went down in Pennsylvania. And when he realized that the plane was being hijacked, he ended up calling, and then that's when he, they found out that other planes were crashing into buildings. And he realized that this is exactly what they're going to do, uh, the terrorists. And so what he ended up doing was he ended up gathering some other men, and they were trying to enter into the cockpit, and that's when the terrorists decided to just crash the plane and kill everyone there. And he famously, uh, you know, dubbed the phrase, let's, let's rock and roll, we're going we're gonna to do this. And they were willing to risk their lives. And, you know, the, the powerful thing about this story is that they, they have said that most likely that plane, United Airlines Flight 93, was going to be headed to the White House or even in Congress. And so, once again, these brave people who actually saved uh, the White House and some of the other buildings there and many, many lives. What's it, what is it about these people that do things that are so different from what we would do and different from what we would not do. And as I mentioned before, if you listen to their stories, they will tell you that they're not heroes, but rather they were just doing what was right in that moment. And that's why I think the thing that gets people's attention is when we do the very thing that is different from what we would normally do. We all dream about that time where we can be courageous and we could stand up to a bully. We all think about the times when we have an opportunity to help somebody, to save somebody who might be injured or who's going through some difficulties. But the thing is that that's in our minds, but how are we living our lives so that when some of these moments come up, and it doesn't have to be dramatic, but we're just talking about everyday normal things that happen throughout the week, how are you able to live differently so that it catches people's attention because they're thinking there's no other way? I think this is one of the most powerful witnesses during the Ebola crisis, many of you know, in the 2000s. During that crisis, everyone fled Africa because of this virus. But guess who stayed behind? It was the Christians who were willing to lay down their life and even contract this disease if they have to, because they wanted to help people. And that's why many secular and people who are pre-Christians who didn't know Jesus Christ, they were stunned, and they were questioning them, what is it about you that's causing you to lay down your life and even take this risk? But let's be honest this morning. I think for many of us, the way we live our lives is just like the world. And the thing that I want us to think about is that if you're saved, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your eternity is secure. Just like Paul said in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That we're not here to try to preserve ourselves, but whatever God is calling us to do that we want to say yes to, because why? Our future is secure. But a lot of us, we love safety. A lot of us, we love comfort. And so we live just like the world. And there's nothing spectacular about us of being a follower of Jesus Christ that warrants even people wanting to know what makes you tick. There isn't any movement towards something that is so different that catches the attention of other people especially a dying world who needs Jesus Christ. I share this because I want to show you this quick video. Uh, a 74-year-old man 
ended up being murdered, and his murder was shown live on Facebook. It was Facebook Live. And the man who murdered this person, who was a father, a grandfather to many, uh, what happened was that he ended up just kind of running away or trying to escape, but the police ended up catching up with this person. And as soon as they caught him or they were about to swarm him, he ended up committing suicide, the, uh, the murder suspect. And so what happened was that their story became really famous because of the response of the daughters, the daughter of the 74-year-old man, and the things that they said. And in fact, they were interviewed by Anderson Cooper, those of you who might know, in CNN. And I want to show you this video, and I want you to look at the response of Anderson Cooper as he hears what the daughter, the two daughters of this man who passed away, who got murdered on Facebook Live, just their response. Once again, it is something that is not of this world. They were living differently that caused even a news reporter, a famous news reporter, to question and to wonder what makes you tick. So let's watch this together. Did you see Anderson Cooper's, Cooper's face? I mean, he was just shocked that in the time of grief that they were willing to forgive the murderer. And they were even thinking about the mother of this person who passed away or who killed himself. I, I, th this is the kind of thing that is not of this world. This is the kind of thing that draws attention, not so much to us, but to God, as you can tell, they were believers. And the father was a believer. And he lived out his life and teaching them how to forgive others. I'm sure there were many, many instances where he was wronged by people, but he forgave and he loved. And the daughters growing up saw that. And then now they're living it out. That's discipleship at its finest. So here's my question for you. How are you living your life? If I were to go and kind of spy on you going to work, would I be able to tell you you're any different from your coworkers? I'm not here to shame you, but I'm just trying to speak truth into your life. Because I love you and I want you to grow and I, I pray that you experience more Jesus. But you know what the sad thing is for some of us who are working? That there are co-workers and colleagues who don't even know you're a Christian. Whether because you're ashamed or whether because you just don't want to say anything, whatever the case may be, there are people that you work with, if I were to ask them, did you know that person is a Christian? I don't even know if they will know that. Those of you who go to school, when you work on projects, do they even know that you're a believer? See, the problem is we live so similar, similar in a way that's like the world, that there's nothing that sets us apart. Especially knowing that we've experienced this gospel message and it, it is transforming our lives. But the question is, how deeply is it going into your life that it's changing you from the inside out? The powerful witness and the glory that goes to God is when we, you and I, as believers, we live differently than the world. That we do things differently than the world. Listen to what Jim Simbola said in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He writes this, people pay attention when they see that God actually changes persons and sets them free. When a new Christian stands up and tells how God has revolutionized his or her life, no one dozes off. When someone is healed or released from a life-controlling bondage, everyone takes notice. Isn't that true? That every single person takes notice. And you know who takes the most notice? It's your family. Because they know you the best. And they realize that you're different in the things that you do and how you live your life. Some of your friends who have known you for many, many years, that when you are 
experiencing the gospel message, it will transform you from the inside out. They will take notice. People around us will begin to see something that is not of this world. And that's why I want to go into chapter 12. We're going to go through the whole chapter. And I'm going to skip over. I'm not going to go into detail with all the parts. We'll probably cover some of this stuff during the Bible study this coming week. But I want you to get the gist of chapter 12. This is what's important that you have to understand in light of everything that he talked about in Romans chapter 1 all the way to Romans chapter 11. Now we come to chapter 12, and this is a hinging point towards what he's going to talk about for the next four chapters. So let me give you the one thing. The one thing is simply this. We are transformed by God's love in order to be conformed to his love. So once again, we are transformed by God's love in order to be conformed to his love, that we will become more like Jesus Christ in how we love and how we live our lives. So I'm going to talk about two things in this passage and kind of break up chapter 12 into two sections. The first thing that I want to mention is that we must live differently, that we must live differently. And we'll see this in the first uh, eight, some, or eight some verses, and we'll look at that together. But let me just first do this. Uh, as, as we've been talking about this whole book of Romans, l- let me try to summarize as quick as I can. If you remember all the way, the problem that we see so often in the church is because we have many people who look at Christianity or salvation as a transactional thing, that I admit that I'm a sinner, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and then now I have eternal life, I'm good to go. And this is the reason why so many people, their lives are not transformed. And this is the reason why that we struggle with so many idols in our lives, because what we have done is we have made this transactional thing where God did something for us, now we receive Him as Lord and Savior, and we can still run our own lives. That is not the gospel that the Bible talks about. And that's what we're trying to break, especially those of you who grew up in the church. This is the reason why some of you struggle so much in your Christian life, because you don't have this gospel paradigm that you need to understand. So all throughout the book of Romans, if you remember, even in the first chapter, he's talking about how God created all things. And that's part of the gospel paradigm. We talk about creation. And so from creation, then we see there's a fall. And from the fall, then we see God redeeming by sending Jesus Christ, our, his only son, to die on the cross for our sins. And now he invites us to be part of this kingdom to restore all things to what God desires. That's why he is doing everything in this world to bring it back to a restoration that will be heading towards heaven where God intended from the beginning of time. There's going to be a new city. It talks about a new Jerusalem. And if you also remember, we talked about the acronym GIFT, that that is woven through these four major pillars. And the thing that we talked about was what? We talked about God. It's God who does all things. He's the one who's creating. Uh, he created the world. He's the one who's working in our midst. It's God. And then the I, we talked about God cre- uh, chose the Israelite people, that through the Israelite people, all nations will be blessed, that we will become uh, believers, and God will send his son through the genealogy of the Israelite people. He, they were the chosen people of God. Then we talked about the F which is the fulfillment. So everything that was prophesied, everything that was spoken of, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he fulfilled, and God is still fulfilling some of those things. And then the T is the transformation that we see, that God is working in bringing transformation in people's lives and also in this world. So if you look at your screen right now, you will notice that this is the basic gospel paradigm. It's creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and then we talk about God working, chose the Israelite people, he fulfilled all his promises, and he's working the work of transformation. Why why is this important? The reason why this is important is that you and I, from the beginning of time, that God had a purpose and a plan for us, that he is doing everything possible to make that purpose and plan become a reality. That's why when Jesus came into this world, he inaugurated, because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He inaugurated 
the kingdom of God. There are two things that we have to keep in mind if we're going to live differently. The first one is this. It has to be a life of surrender. A life of surrender. You will notice, and let me go ahead and read it really quickly. Uh, let's turn to, uh, hopefully you've turned to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read the first two verses. Listen to what it says. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and by that, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's just pause here first, and as we talk about this life of surrender, you will notice here this idea of therefore, and we're linking everything that Paul was talking about before, and then he's making the appeal, or if you want to look at it, the reason why we ought to do this. And so you will see the phrase, I appeal to you. It could be translated as I urge you or even I plead with you. And the appeal is what? Based on the mercies of God. That's why in Romans 11, those of you who have been with us, you studied this. Last week, we talked about the mercies of God, that he showed the mercy to the Jewish people. He showed God's, his mercy to the Gentiles. So it is out of this mercy and all throughout the whole 11 chapters, it's all about God's mercy. He didn't have to save us, but he saved us. He didn't have to choose certain people, but he chose us. So it's out of his mercy. So what is the appeal and what is the plea that he is trying to make? Now, the phrase that you need to focus on is living sacrifice. He's saying that present ourselves as a living sacrifice. The word present is similar to, to offer or to yield. So when we are presenting ourselves, we are yielding ourselves, which is surrendering, or we are offering, giving up something, surrendering, we're giving up something to God. The part that this is important is that it is not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. For the Jewish people, they had to bring an animal, and then they would kill it, and then they will offer up on the altar. So it's a dead animal that is being sacrificed and it's being consumed. But Paul here says, no, we're dead to ourselves, but we are living. So the way we live our lives are going to be very, it's going to be very important. Now, this is the part that I want you to catch here. Not only is Paul saying that he is appealing to us because we have received mercy, but he states that this is our spiritual act of worship. The phrase spiritual act of worship is better translated as our rational service or our reasonable service. So this is what Paul is trying to say. He's saying that when you think about all of his mercies and everything that he has done, what he's saying is that it is reasonable and it is rational it makes sense that you should give your life and live as a living sacrifice unto God. What is Paul really trying to say here? He's simply saying, think about all that God has done. Think about everything that I've been trying to explain in the 11 chapters. When you think about all these things, then it will be only reasonable to give your life and surrender to him so that you could live differently. Let me give you some translations here in the Amplified Version. You could read the yellow highlighter with me. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicate all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your, come on, say this, rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. The message translation says this, So here, what I want you to do, God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around, and place it before God as an offering. And it says here, embracing what God does for you is the very thing that you could do for Him. It's embracing everything that God has been doing in our lives, and then now we are giving ourselves to Him. It is our reasonable and rational worship unto God. This is what we should be doing when we think about how much he has given himself to us. So the question for us is what motivates us to do things? 
I think for many of us, when we think about this, we don't rationally think through all that God has done. We forget all that he has done for us. Not only salvation, but think about all the times he answered prayer. Think about all the times that he has worked in your life. All the times when you thought it was going to end in a bad way, but somehow God used all things for the good. So when he says, when you think through this, just rationally, without any emotions, just think through this. You should, it, it just makes sense to give yourself over to him as a living sacrifice. That's why in verse 2, you will notice that Paul mentions this idea of the importance of the mind. He says, do not be conformed to this world. The translation is also to the age. What's going on in, in our time, in our age here. But be transformed by the renewal of the mind. See, what happens is that our worship is completely inverted. So what has happened is that we should be worshiping the creator, but now we are worshiping the created. And that's why no longer is God the one that we worship, but we are now worshiping other things in this world. This is where we get this idea of having idols in our lives. And so here's Paul making it very clear. If your mindset is not set on the things of God, then you're going to start worshiping other things. You're, it's not going to be a reasonable worship and service unto God. And that's why he talks about what? This idea of rewiring our brain. Some translations, it says, don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The Amplified Version says this, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with the superficial values and customs but be transformed and progressively change as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. It says what? Focusing on godly values and ethical principles. So think about that for a moment. The reason why some of you are not able to offer yourself and surrender your life to Christ is because of your mind. Your mindset is so much like the world. And until your mind is being renewed and it's lined up with God's heart, we're going to continue to worship other things, and it's going to be difficult to surrender. Can I ask us this morning, what are some things in your life that you're having a hard time letting go? What are some things in your life right now that you're having a hard time just surrendering to God? A lot of times it starts in the mind, and as we go through this in our minds, we miss out the very thing that he's trying to do. Our minds are more like the world than what the scripture says. This is the reason why another translation says this, the Phillips translation says, do not let the world uh, around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. God has to shape your mind, remold it for his glory. The message translation says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Some of us don't even think, we just kind of blindly follow. And so he says, don't do things without thinking. And it says, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. It is focusing on the right things. L let me just say this. I think when we think about our lives, the reason why we struggle is we're bombarded by so many messages from the world. But Paul just says what? He says, by being renewed, don't, don't be conformed to the things of this world, but be renewed and transformed by renewing your mind. So some of us who struggle with whatever issue it might be, some of you, it might be issue of control. Some of us, it might be issue of just negative thoughts. Whatever it is, it's because your mind is not being renewed with what we see in Scripture. And this is why many of us believe in the lies. Satan's deceptive thoughts are planted into our minds, and then we begin to carry it out. That's why it's a battle for the mind. And we've been sharing this many, many times. And one of the things that we do share is this idea of T-E-A, which is T. And I keep on telling people it's tea time. Why? Because a lot of times we focus on our action. Oh, I, I got to stop doing this or this is happening. But it's not about your action. Your action is pretty much when it starts happening, it's too late. So what happens is that it starts with your thoughts. It's your mind, because your thoughts, if it's not biblical, if it's lies or deceit for the evil one, there's a thought that is planted, and you begin to believe in it, guess what happens? It affects your emotions. 
And this is the reason why we keep on saying you got to capture your thoughts because some of us are like emotionally going up and down. Some of you are depressed. Some of you might be just feeling good at one moment and down the other. And it is not just because of your emotion. It's because of what you think about. Some of us, we struggle with mental health. It's because of our neurons and the way is we wired it up because we've been using social media ever since a young kid, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old. So your brain is on fire. So that's why you struggle with some of these mental. Some of you have gone through tragic things that puts a jolt in your mind and sometimes that totally gets it off. And so what's happening is this. Your thoughts affect your emotions and then your emotions then affect your actions. So we get it backwards. We're trying to work on our actions, but then that doesn't work because our emotions are still there. And then what about our emotions? Because then it just comes through our thoughts. So in order to win this battle, you got to win the battle for the mind. We'll talk about this even throughout the summer. This is going to be very important. So tea time. Every single time you feel something connected to your thoughts, Every single time you do something that you don't want to do, then it's connected to how you're feeling. And how are you feeling? It's pretty much fueled by your thoughts. So that's why you got to renew your mind. That's why the Bible is so important. So here we go. This idea of, therefore, in view of God's mercies, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, yielding, surrendering yourself to God. For this is your rational and this is a reasonable sacrifice that you make to God in light of all the things that you've experienced. So as he's making this argument, because he's trying to say you got to live differently, so that means that you got to have a life of surrender, because if you're surrendered, it's going to be much different from what the world tells you. The second part that you need to understand is a life of service. Not only sacrifice, uh, surrender, excuse me, but it's a life of service. Let's read quickly here verse 3 to 8, and this is what it says here. He talks about the gifts of grace. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of, of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if one who teaches in his teaching, if one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here's what Paul's saying, is that when you think about God's mercy, then the reasonable thing that you ought to do is you need to surrender your life and offer yourself to God and say, God, in light of everything you've done, here's my life, whatever you want to do with it. And once you have this life of surrender, now you're going to say, I'm an instrument of whatever you want to use for your glory. So that now we are serving God. Our bodies, our minds, our hands, everything that we have, it is now a life of service to God. I'm not going to go too much into this. Let me just, let's look at this during the life group. But one of the things that you have to understand is that He's trying to talk about how each and every single one of us, we're a member of the body. He uses illustration about the body because that's a great way to understand that each one of us play a part. And he, then he talks about the gifts. This is not an exhaustive list. There's other passages in the Bible that talk about other gifts. And even then it's not exhaustive. But we did talk about during the conference that we had in our co congregational or con conference that we had, we talked about the acronym PACE, and that comes from Ephesians. Let me just quickly read that. It says this. Now, these are the gifts God, Christ, gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will, become, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. If you remember, we talked about PACE, that acronym PACE, that God has given some to be prophets, some to be apostles, some to be shepherds, because that word pastor is loaded. So we're just saying it's shepherds and then teachers and then evangelists. And these gifts, if they are present 
in the body of Christ or even in your life group, it will grow because we are equipping people for maturity, and that's where the growth will happen. That's why one way that I always tell people is look at your salt. Uh, look at your life group. Do you have all of these five things, giftings, in your group? Even if you have a leadership team. I mean, you don't, it's not just about church. You could use this even in your workplace. Your, your, the team that you're working at, do you have some of these people who are exhibiting? They might not be like, I'm apostolic. But, you know, they, they are wanting, they're the ones who are always pushing forward to new territories, new business ventures, and new deals. So when you look at any team, even in football, if you look at any team, when you have these five gifts and they're working together in the body or whatever that organization you will see it growing because you need all of these five, and they interact together. Now, Paul mentions seven specific gifts. He talks about, uh, once again, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leadership, and showing mercy. And he says, if you have any of these gifts, exercise it. Why? Because you are surrendered to Christ because he has done so much for you, and now you're serving him because out of gratitude. I'm going to just quickly jump into point number two. We talked about how our lives, we must live differently. When we think about all that he has done, we got to live differently. The second thing is this, that we must love differently. The way we love has to be so much different than the world. So what's going on is that here he is talking about everything in chapter 1 all the way through chapter uh, 11. And then in chapter 12, what he's doing is he gives a list of short exhortations or commands. Now, when you look at this list, you're like, wow, there's about like 14, 15. There's a lot of stuff here. I'm going to break this up into two sections. One is for your relationship with believers. And the second part is your relationship with pre-Christians. And so the way you love will inevitably be all the same. But certain things, the way you love in the context of the body of Christ, the church family, might look different from the world. Why? Because the world do not share this commonality of Jesus Christ. So there will be more hardships and more opposition coming from the world. And that's what he addresses here. So let me just go ahead and read verse 9 through 13. Because I want to first talk about uh, loving differently with Christians. So this is what it says here in verse 9 through 13, it says this, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Let's stop here. Here he is now giving a whole list of commands and things that we ought to do because of what Christ has done in view of his mercies. Now we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. So we got to live differently. And he says, you know what? You got to love differently. So the world will know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So what is it that he's emphasizing? I don't have time to go through every single one, but I'm going to highlight some things here that we must love people genuinely and sincerely without being fake. That's what it means when we see that passage uh, back in verse 9 when he talks about love must be genuine. I mean, this is the problem with so many of us in the church is that we don't really love one another, but we kind of fake it because we have to because we know it's the right thing to do. And that's the part that does not build community, and this is the thing that does not help the relationship, and this hinders us from being a witness. Like, when was the last time you genuinely loved people in your life group? Or more so, if some of us get together, like, talking, gossiping about other people, and that's why anyone who comes into this community, they can sense that. So right now, some of us are not helping in terms of building the type of community that we need to see to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Because you do not love the people who are around you. Now, you can't love every single person in our church, but at least you can start with loving your LCG, even though it's hard, right? that you can start loving your life group. Start there, because that's small enough that you can love these people. 
And then God will then allow you to meet others and to be able to love them. What else do we see here? Not only genuineness in love without being fake, but the thing that I want you to have you note here is he also talks about honoring, which is preferring others above ourselves. The reason why we cannot honor people is because of our pride. Whether we think we're better or we think we can do certain things better than that person, and that's why we have a hard time honoring. Can I just say this? Those of you who have a hard time honoring people, you're going to have a hard time receiving the blessings that God has. There's something that I've learned over the years is that when you're able to honor people, blessings of God comes down. And that's why some of us are being, if you want to look at it just in a dry and barren land, because you don't know how to love and you don't know how to honor people. Now, all this can be asked, well, how do I get this then? Well, one thing that I want you to note here is look at verse 12 and 13 again really quickly. You will notice that all the things that Paul talks about in these two verses were traits of the early church. The early church in the book of Acts possessed all these things. They rejoiced in hope. They were patient in tribulations. They were constant in prayer. They were contributing to the needs of the believers, and they were showing hospitality. And so the key to love people, to honor people, to contribute, to all this stuff, be patient in tribulation and rejoicing in hope, the key thing is through prayer. In fact, I want to challenge you. And I, I have done this for myself. I have challenged other people. If there is a person that you cannot love, if there's a person that gets you really frustrated and impatient, I challenge you to commit yourself praying every single day for that person. You cannot hate that person or be fake about it when you actually pray for them. So whenever I hear things like, oh, I cannot love that person, it's because you're not praying. Because when you pray, you believe that God could change your heart. And every single time there have been people that, is, that are very difficult to love, when I pray for them, that's when my heart softens. And that's why the early church, they prayed. And God did some amazing things. Hospitality was another big part of living differently and loving differently. Listen to what the voice translation says. Share what you have with the saints so they lack nothing. Take every opportunity to open your life and home to others. The Living Bible says this. When God's children are in need, you, are, you be the one to help out and, let, and get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. You know, one of the beautiful things that you'll experience is when you experience hospitality, it will open up people's hearts. I mean, we're, we're teaching on this with some of our leaders uh, just yesterday, that we want to prepare all of you to be hospitable, especially when there's newcomers that are going to be joining us. Because once again, we've got to live differently and love differently. Because when we are genuinely transformed with His love, then we're going to be able to be conformed more to his love. Another thing you will notice now in the closing out is you will see not only this loving differently with Christians, but he talks about pre-Christians now. And I'm going to read verse 14 through 21. And listen to what Paul is saying now. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doings, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what Paul's saying? I, I'm going to close out here. What Paul is trying to say is that there will be people who will come against you, especially those who do not know Jesus Christ. Therefore, you should expect persecution. You should expect evil to come at you. But as we begin to pray, as we begin to love differently, then we're going to win over evil. Not evil with evil, 
but overcome evil with good. I think this is one of the hardest commands, and this is for me as well, is to think that you don't, you don't get revenge. I mean, the Korean dramas are, are making millions of dollars on this theme of revenge. You know, get revenge. Get back at that person. And think, this is the world. Think about even at your workplace. Think about even at school. It's all about getting back tit for tat. And it's so easy to get sucked into the mind of the world. And it's about revenge. And here's Paul saying that people who don't know Jesus Christ, this is what they're going to do. They're going to persecute you. They're going to come and bring evil towards you. What are you going to do? And he's challenging us to love, to love differently. When you love people that love you, that's not really the love that's different. But when you love people who are your enemies, as Jesus talked about, that's a love of another kind. And that is what he's challenging us with. So the one thing, once again, is that we are transformed by God's love in order to be conformed to his love. Let me just give us a quick, some next steps to think about. I think this is going to be important, especially with Easter coming up. I want to challenge us, those of us, particularly those of us who are struggling with mental health, even emotional health, those of you who are struggling, I want to challenge you to get on a program where you are actually reading the Bible. I want to challenge you to actually renew your mind with memorizing Scripture. The problem is, once again, it's your mind. It's not your emotion. It's, it's not what you do, but it's your mind. And that's why I think it's very important that you renew this. It, it's, it is not going to come automatically. It's going to take effort. It's going to take discipline. But you're doing this, the renewing of the mind, because once again, it's going to affect your emotion. It's going to affect your actions. Paul talks about that. You're not going to be able to surrender and trust in God and believe by faith that he will provide for you unless your mind is renewed. I'm, I'm willing to lay my life on this, and I'll say it boldly. Almost every single one of your problems that you're struggling with, I could connect it to some kind of false thought that you have. A deceitful thought, a worldly thought, a self-centered thought, I could connect it back. You just tell me what your issues are, I could connect it back. Maybe something that your parents said to you that you start believing. Oh, I can't do it or I'm nothing. Some of us went through bullying. Some of us have faced difficult situations. Some of you have been hurt that you have not resolved. And so that plays around in your mind. Like, I'm being pretty bold to say this, that almost every single one of your issues it goes back to your, some kind of thought. And here we are. We have the answer. The Bible. To read it. To memorize it. To meditate on it. To marinate our minds on it. And we don't do it. Because we lack faith. We're lazy. We don't care. That's why I'm putting this before you as a challenge. That if you're serious about living your life for Jesus Christ, to live differently and to love differently, to be transformed deep within with His love, that means that you have to win the battle for the mind. So spend some time renewing your mind with God's Word. The second thing is this. Release your control. The reason why we control things is we don't believe. We don't believe that God is good. We don't believe that God knows what he's doing. We don't believe that he will provide for us. That's why we are control freaks. We don't believe that he's wise. We don't believe that he's going to be able to do things immeasurably more than we can ask and think about. Some of you, you struggle because you are a control freak. Everything is about self-sufficiency. I, I, I find it amazing that some of us, and please don't misunderstand me. Some of you are so extra precautious about everything in life. It's all about safety. And I find it ironic that those of us who are like that are the ones who catch the diseases or whatever. You're not in control. 
I've seen people eat healthy. They run every single day. They work out. But they're the ones who end up getting a heart attack. While people are eating McDonald's every single day. I'm like, Lord, them. Not, not, not here. Over here. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You are not in control. That doesn't mean it, it, it excuses us from not eating healthy, not taking precautions, putting on our masks, all that kind of stuff. No, we do it the best that we can. But somewhere in that process, we've got to let go, go to control. You're not even in control of the government. Huh. And somehow you think that if you end up going here or doing this, that somehow things are going to get better. And I'm going to tell you right now, you are not in control. And oftentimes the battle is within your heart and in your mind. You can go thousands of miles away, but it's your heart and your mind that will keep on following you. You could change the place. Grass is greener on the other side. But once again, these are the things that you have to work through. So that's why release control. Let go of it. Say, God, I trust you. You're the one who understands. I mean, praise God for some of the people who are helping out in terms of uh, the live stream. You should see their face. You know? I mean, I'm sure they saw my face. But at the end of the day, what can we do? <laughs> we can get our own place and fortify that thing so that it will never happen again. I mean, we could try that. But at the end of the day, we're not in control. We're not. So what do you got to do? You got to just surrender. Can I tell you a funny story? It's not a funny story. I used to, it, those people who are doing the AV, the reason why sometimes I tend to be a little bit like, come on, guys, is because I've been there. And I don't know how many times when I was part of the gospel band, I was doing the AV when I first got started. And there were feedback coming from everywhere. And I'm like turning everything on, off. And I'm getting dirty looks from the praise leader. I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't know. So you know what I did? I go, I don't know. I'm not in control. This thing is going, it's demonic. It's demonic, Lord. It's demonic. So you know what I did? You know, you know what I did? I said, there's nothing I can do. I'm not in control. So I just leave my hands on it. And then this feedback went, went away. I'm like, God, if I knew that earlier, I would have been, I would have been touching that thing from the beginning. <laughs> so once again, release your control. Because only God is the one who's ultimately in control. That's why we pray. That's why we trust in Him. Here, the, the, the next two, really quick, is respond to God's mercy by serving. To offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. When you really think about all that God has shown you in His grace, in His mercy, what, can, what is the most reasonable thing to do? What is the most logical thing that we can do? God, you've given me so much. I don't deserve anything. So here's my whole life. When you forget about his mercy, you forget about the cross, you forget about all that he has done, then you're going to start complaining, I don't want to do this, this is hard. But when you start thinking about what he has done, what he has gone through, what he has suffered, then you're like, God, it's my privilege, it's my honor. This is no sacrifice. So respond to God's mercy by serving. It doesn't mean you have to join a ministry team per se, but start serving in your life group. Find different ways to encourage people. Man, gone are the days where we used to write these letters, anonymous letters, just to encourage different people. Now it's all text and all this, so everyone knows who you are unless you open up a fake account because we know that you have about five different fake accounts in some of these different social medias. But anyway, but yeah, bless somebody. Write them a note. Do something. Bless them in that way. And lastly is reach out to others in love. Man, one of the best ways to do that I think, is this coming Easter. The reason why people don't come out to church because they've never been invited. If the statistics are true, if about 8 to 9 out of 10 people will come to church, especially on Easter, if someone would invite them, then we have no excuse. Then my only other conclusion is you have no friends. That's my only other conclusion. I pray that as you seek God this coming week, He will place some people in your mind and have the courage to just invite them. If they say no, it's okay. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. 
Find some other ways. There might be other activities in the future that you can invite them to. With that, let me just close with this. I mean, I really want to show, I mean, the last, I don't know how many weeks, we haven't shown the videos I want to see, so we're saving it, but now there's a backlog of all these good videos that I want to show you. This one, I think, will kind of bring everything full circle from what I shared in the beginning. You got to have a love that's different. You got to have a life that you live that is different. And only by the power of the transforming power of God's love can bring you to that conformity to that love so you can live it out. Richard Houston was a police officer in Texas, and he ended up dying. It was his daughter who actually then gave the eulogy. I want you to listen to what she says. It's very powerful. And this is the reason why all the news stations carried it, because they could not believe what she was saying. It was a love of another kind. She thought differently. She lived differently. She loved differently. And I pray that as a church, we will have this kind of mindset so that we could transform the world. After the video, I'm just going to come up and pray for us in closing, and then we'll dismiss you. Sorry it went a little bit long. Sorry for the, all the other stuff. Uh, we didn't lay our hands on there. So we're going to start laying our hands on these things. But let's just watch it with just an open heart and listen very carefully to some of the stuff that she's saying. I pray that it will encourage you and remind you of what we talked about today. So let's watch it together. Now I hope you understand why uh, just the whole city and nation of the United States, they carry this because they could not understand how somebody who lost her father wanted, was grateful that that man is stable so she could share the gospel. She loved differently. She lived differently. It's because her life has been transformed with the gospel message, with God's love. And now that she's been conformed to that love. I just pray that as we've been covering the first 11 chapters, and we're talking about the mercy and the grace that we were chosen, predestined, we were under the wrath of God, but he saved us, delivered us. That out of that mercy that we can think through this and say, what is our reasonable act of worship? Was to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. I pray that that will be your motivation in everything that you do as you serve him, live for him. It's because of what he has done first. And I pray that we will live our lives so differently that it will catch the, the eye of those who don't know Jesus. And we're, we're going to believe that it's going to happen this Easter and even throughout the summer, as we have great things planned for us, that we're gonna, God's going to use all these things for His glory. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll close out here. Heavenly Father, I thank You for just Your love for us that we don't deserve at all. Thank You for laying it out in the 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Lord, that in view of all the creation, everything You have made, that, Lord, it's clear that we have fallen short of Your glory. But thank you that you did not leave us there, but you've chosen us, you predestined us to be called your child. That there is, therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That nothing will separate us from the love of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from your love. And that's why we know that you're working out all things for the good of those who love you and who have been called according to your purpose. And I just pray that out of that mercy that we receive, that we will give ourselves to you, that we will surrender our lives, and that we will serve you with all that we have. And the way we love those who are in the family of God May it be a great witness for those who are yet to experience your love. And we pray for those who are not part of the family of God yet, the way we treat them, the way we love them, the way we serve them, that they will wonder to themselves, what is it that motivates you to do this? I do pray for our church, Lord, that it's so easy to be comfortable and 
satisfied and content with where we are and what we have. But Lord, remind us that there's so much more you have in store for us. And that's why we want to believe by faith as you renew our mind. God, the things that we hold on to, Lord, they are not going to fully satisfy. It is found in you and you alone. So open up our hearts. We pray for this coming week, Lord, as we've observed Passion Week. It's going to lead us to Good Friday when we think about the cross. Move our hearts once again. Remind us of the sin in our lives and what you had to pay to redeem us and rescue us. And we pray that as we look even forward to Easter and this glorious day, that our, our faith is hinging upon the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we will boldly declare this and that we will see many people not only coming and observing and to participating in our worship, but many people taking steps of faith, whether it's for the first time, whether it's to join life group, whatever it may be, we're praying that they will be welcomed in through our hospitality because the love that you showed unto us. So we thank you, Lord. I pray for blessings over every single one of us throughout this week. I pray that we'll draw nearer to you, continue to renew our minds as we respond to your grace and your love. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We worship you. It is our reasonable worship, Lord, because you have given so much to us. So we thank you once again and pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.